Al Jazeera podcast. Hi, Malika here. I wanted to let you know that this is our last new episode of the year. 2023 has been a year of one major news event after another. And for the next two weeks, we'll be bringing you the 10 episodes that sum up this year at The Take. You'll also hear some familiar voices. That starts Monday. Until then, we're bringing you this episode on Sunday. Here's today's show with guest host Natasha Del Toro. That is the sound of a haka, a ceremonial dance that's central to indigenous Maori culture. This one was during the opening day of New Zealand's parliament last week. The parliament was officially opened and it offered a taste of the political theatre. We are set to see this term. Rawiri Waititi, the co-leader of the Tapati Māori Party, was supposed to swear an oath to King Charles, the sovereign of New Zealand. But first, we saw the haka. It was a breach of protocol, and it comes when thousands across New Zealand are protesting the new right-leaning government and policies, protesters say, will reverse gains made on indigenous rights. Protesters accuse the country's government of being anti-Maori for proposed laws that include limiting the use of the indigenous language. Christopher Luxon, New Zealand's new prime minister, vowed a shake-up on election night back in October. New Zealanders have chosen change, and our new government will deliver it, and we will get this country back on track. So what will getting back on track mean for the new national-led government and for the Maori community? I'm Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. To get into the current debate and the history behind it, I'm talking to a scholar of Indigenous issues who's also Māori herself. I'm Claire Charters and I'm a professor uh, of law at the University of Auckland in New Zealand. And I'm also the Indigenous governance partner at New Zealand's Human Rights Commission. Now, we know that there have been protests against what some have called new anti-Māori policies. Tell us about the scale of these protests. When did they start? And what are protesters demanding? So the protests were recently during the opening of Parliament. And the problem, I guess, that that the protesters are responding to is that New Zealand's uh, recently elected new government is pulling back on a number of Māori rights recognised under law and in policy in New Zealand. So one of the key ones is to reinterpret New Zealand's founding constitutional document, the Treaty of Waitangi, which is between Māori and the British Crown. One issue, the text of the treaty is not the same in English as it is in Māori. There are two versions of the treaty, one in Māori and one in English. In the English version, they are... Māori cede the sovereignty of New Zealand to Britain, and Māori are given the rights and privileges of British subjects. The Māori version of the treaty does not say that Māori cede sovereignty or Rangatira. 
in Article 1, the word sovereignty was translated to Māori as kawanatanga, which actually means governance. And the English text says that Māori ceded sovereignty to the British Crown. In the Māori text, which was signed by Māori, and the absolute vast majority, talks about Māori retaining our sovereignty and, and also protection of our rights to our lands, territories and resources and other treasures. So what the new government wants to do is reinterpret that treaty to mean something that it doesn't mean at all and something more along the lines of individual equality, which is not what the treaty says at all. And that dispute played out on Monday at New Zealand's National Museum. Police have arrested 12 protesters involved with defacing the English version of the Tiriti or Waitangi exhibit at Te Papa. Abseiling equipment, spray paint and a power tool were used to vandalise the wooden panel. The protest groups say the translation displayed at our National Museum is misleading. There's been protests all over the country in various different localities. And Claire, let's talk about the Indigenous Māori community in New Zealand a little more broadly. What representation have they had historically in politics? The power of Māori politically is stronger than compared to uh, many other Indigenous peoples because we wake up 17% of the population. Māori have, since the 1860s, had some guaranteed seats in Parliament. That number has changed over time and increased somewhat. So currently we have Māori have seven designated seats out of 120 in Parliament. So we're quite a powerful, I guess, political group. However, Māori still remain the minority and there are a number of cases where Parliament has overridden any recognition of Māori rights, even when those rights have been recognised by our highest courts. So we still suffer from that issue of tyranny of the majority. And, and I know that the new national-led government took power from Labour, which is a center-left party that had been in power for the last six years. And that party was led by Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. So what, what in the past, though, have they been able to achieve for the Maori? One thing that is well known about the last government, the, the Labour government, is that it's established what's called uh, the Māori Health Authority, which is somewhat independent um, health authority to focus in on Māori health to address what are you know, quite appalling statistics with how Māori fear in health. We die younger, we're sicker and so on. So that is, I think, has been a good initiative. Another thing that the, the Labour Party is, is known for is that it agreed to develop a national plan of action to realise the, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That was a bold move, I think, by the Labour government as it involved trying to realise pretty strong rights to lands, territories and resources, to self-determination and so on. However, the Labour government then, uh, a year ago, almost to the day, decided to put a halt to the development of that plan of action exactly because it was worried about the more right-wing, I guess, reaction to the, the, the National Plan of Action. Now, these are some of the policies that the new government has said it will roll back, and in some cases, have already begun. There is the uh, renaming from the Māori name of our ministries back to the English name. 
Dual names for departments are fine so long as English comes first. There is uh, an active and very strong policy to pull back on any recognition or implementation of the UN uh, Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. There is the abolition of the Māori Health Authority. That's a recent initiative meant to address lower life expectancy for Māori and other health issues. All of this has led to protests all over the country. And I suspect it's really only the start um, of Uh, this kind of action. I don't know that for sure and time will tell and and maybe the government will um, pull back on some of its policies. We we will see. But that's my suspicion and that's certainly the word on the street, as it were. And also, Labour faced many challenges during its years in power, Um, you know, from, from the pandemic and natural disasters to a rising cost of living and, and concern about a surge in crime. So, Tell us now about this new national-led government. You know, what were the main policies they campaigned on? The National Party was really focused, and I think remains really focused, on the economy and trying to address inflation, which, like in many other places in the world right now, has been climbing steadily to address the housing market, to address other consequences from COVID, um, increasing homelessness and so on, but very much focused on the economy. However, the other two parties in which it's now gone into coalition and it's needed to make up a coalition in order to have majority in parliament, those two other parties are far more right-leaning. And the ACT Party particularly campaigned on a no self-governance, rewriting Te Tiriti or Waitangi, our Treaty of Waitangi through a referendum, to trying to address what it saw as inequality when recognising Māori rights. In fact, I've been quite surprised, given how these other smaller parties are much smaller, how much they seem to have influenced the approach of the National Party. That's not to say that the National Party didn't share these concerns, but it's really swung a lot further in the direction of the right than I had expected. After the break, the history behind the Maori's fight in New Zealand and the new government's response. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI. And I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Your class starts January 8th. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. So, Claire, when talking about policies that they are, you know, specific to rolling back Indigenous rights, changing names of government departments from the Modi language to English, for example, is that also, if you could kind of explain why they've decided to do that? I I don't understand it at all, Natasha. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, at a guess, I think it's a pushback against this perception that that Māori are becoming far too dominant in society, despite being a minority, reflected in this 
gradually changing names of ministries to the Māori language name. So I think it's just all part of that same phenomenon of a perception that Māori acquiring too much um, power and sway, um, and that's reflected in the language. You know, just on that, what I would say is that that I find that, you know, I find all the policies very problematic, but that's the one that breaks my heart a little bit. <laughs> You know, the most, because New Zealand's been and done such a great job, I think, at, at revitalising the Māori language. It is something that all our kids learn at school, whether you're in a Māori immersion schooling situation or whether you're in mainstream, that, that we all learn some te Māori. It's something that we've proudly championed as revitalisation of Indigenous languages at the United Nations and so on. And these names are, you know, not everybody would understand that the Māori name, but certainly most would, and um, certainly our youth do. So all the things that you're describing, they were really hard one steps forward for the Māori community. The Māori community is offended, mm-hmm. angry, yes. concerned about these different things that this new government is enacting. Very much. So all of these protests have erupted. And what has been the Nationals' response then to all these protests? So Christopher Luxon, our new Prime Minister, uh, said um, in response to the protest, which, as mentioned, happened on the, on the opening of Parliament, that he found it unfair. What I'd say out here is I think it's pretty unfair, you know, to be honest. I think the reality is we're in government for a week. Uh, we, we are going to get going and get things done for Māori and for non-Māori. However, from my perspective, the coalition parties have signed their coalition agreements, which state these policies loud and clear. They've stated what they kind of want to do, and it's those policies that are, in fact, um, objectionable to many Māori. So, Claire, what's at stake for New Zealand's Māori community? So what's at stake? So... We talked a little bit before about uh, language, about retention of uh, and revitalization of Māori language. I think if you've got the government saying that that's not valued, and I wonder whether the dollars will also follow that and, and maybe decreasing, I don't know that, funding for, for Māori language, then you can see you know, precarious Indigenous language being lost over time without that kind of support undermining those many decades of revitalization that has been so powerful. So that's one example. I feel a bit heartbroken about, for example, I'm a constitutional and international lawyer, so really worried about the influence um, internationally of New Zealand's regressive steps, as well as, for example, rewriting of our founding constitutional doctrine should mean something that it doesn't. Then it is much more difficult to use it as a tool to provide some sort of redress for the the, the grievances associated with colonisation, like land loss, like loss of power, and so on. So that has potentially a major impact um, on Māori. And how would you say that this relates to the rights of Indigenous people around the globe? I think is problematic because other states now could feel emboldened to also start winding back advancements of Indigenous peoples' rights. Rightly or wrongly, New Zealand has been held out as a leader in this space. 
New Zealand was also with its National Plan of Action to realise the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, was at the fore of doing that sitting alongside Canada. And it again just sort of indicates or or suggests that these obligations aren't really obligations (laughs) and that you can pull back on them. So I think it's deeply problematic on an international level. Since the 1960s and 70s, there has been um, a slow but progressive movement to greater realisation of Indigenous peoples' rights, of Māori rights in, in New Zealand, despite many, many years of prior to that of suppression of Māori and assimilation. So now to turn all of a sudden into regressively pulling back on what's 50 plus years of progressive but slow realisation of Māori rights is incredibly confronting. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Khaled Sultan and Sonia Bagat with Ashish Malhotra, Amy Walters, Veronisa Campana, Chloe K. Lee, David Enders, Miranda Lynn, Nagin Oliai, Zaina Badr, Suri Al-Khalili, and me, Natasha Del Toro, in from Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexander Locke is our executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.